As, as you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103, I want to ask a couple of questions. What do you think about on a regular basis? What, what fills your mind? What fills your heart? Is there anything that you find yourself thinking about right now? Maybe the politics of this world. There's an election coming up. Maybe it's vacation. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's your kids. My kids occupy a lot of my thinking. So I assume that that's the case with everybody who has kids. Maybe it's something that you want or something that you desire. What is it that fills your mind? And when you, when you pray to God, when you cry out to the Lord, what do you cry out for? What are those things that are on your lips and what are those things that overflow from the recesses of your heart? Today, when we're in Psalm 103, we're going to see how the psalmist would answer those questions. We're going to see how the psalmist, who is David, is going to respond to these things. And so before we, before we jump into the psalm, I just want to give a, a couple of points of, of emphasis about the background for the psalm. First of all, the, the psalms, they have these sub-genres, right? They have these, uh, these ideas that might be more prominent in, in one psalm than they are in another. And this psalm is going to be a psalm that's going to be focused on praise. Hopefully, we, we feel comfortable with that term praise. It's a crying out to the Lord and declaring who he is. So this is a song of praise. It's written by David, the great king of Israel, uh, during the, the golden age of Israel's history. There's also a little bit of a sequence in the psalms that go before this and the psalms that, that come after this. We're not going to talk about that today, but if you would, were to read Psalm 102, the end of it, Psalm 103, is kind of a response to that. And then when you go into Psalm 104, it actually starts and ends with the same refrain that Psalm 103 does, which is, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then so Psalm 104 mirrors it and matches it as well. And you, you also see themes of the, the temporariness of, of, of our lives here on earth in Psalm 102 and Psalm 103. And you see God on his throne in Psalm 103 and Psalm 104. There are, there are themes that span these psalms. So, so read them all, right? But today we are just going to be focused on Psalm 103. And the themes of this psalm are the character and nature of God. God is righteous. God loves and does that which is good and right. God has steadfast love for his people. This steadfast love is this faithful, loyal, unmoving, unshakable love that we worship a God who is compassionate. We worship a God who, who cares for his people. And then it, it talks about who we are. It talks the, about how we are dust and how we are we are sinful. And it calls us to something as well. It calls us to be people who relate to God in a way that blesses the Lord, that declares who he is, and that fears him. Because God relates to us with compassion, and he does not relate to us according to our sins. So we'll see, we'll see what he, the psalmist means when he says that. But God is compassionate towards us, but he calls us to that same loyalty that he has to us. So the structure of this psalm, so everybody that I've read structures Psalm 103 differently, and I actually had a different structure than everyone that I read. And so, but I've broken it down conceptually, and I think that this is what makes the most sense when, when approaching the text uh, and talking about the text in a group gathering. There's, there's bookends at the beginning and the end of this psalm, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, and there's actually in those bookends a, a, a heightening of what's going to go on. So the, the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and he says that three times, and then he's going to say it four times at the very end. So I think that there's this biblical pattern of three plus four going on at the beginning and end of this psalm, really calling you to, in all that you have, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. 
Verses 1 through 5 give us the imperative, the command of the psalm. And it says, bless the Lord, do not forget his benefits. Then in 6 through 13, we're going to see the character of God, that he is righteous, and he shows steadfast love to those who fear him. Verses 14 through 18 are going to show God the condition of God's people. Our days are fleeting, but God's steadfast love is eternal. And then verses 19 through 22 are going to give us that, that same imperative again, but it's going to be heightened that all creation, everything, is supposed to bless the Lord. So our main idea today is going to be this. We bless the Lord because of who he is, the righteous Lord who keeps steadfast love for those who fear him. So I'll say that again. We bless the Lord because of who he is. He is the righteous Lord who keeps steadfast love for those who fear him. And one of the things that I love about the liturgy of this church is that we, we've, we've declared those things this morning already within, within our, our worship and our praise of God. So we're just reiterating those same principles that we've already sung. And so I want to read the psalm with you, and then we'll look at its constituent parts. It is a psalm of David, Psalm 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Notice the exclamation point there. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, we pray that we would this morning bless you. Father, we pray that we would be people who declare with a resounding shout who you are. Father, we pray that that would not just be an external reality today, but Father, we pray that we would feel this in the recesses of our hearts, that in the deepest, most inward part of our being, that we would know, that we would trust in you and your goodness, your compassion for those who fear you, and your steadfast and faithful love. So Father, we pray that today, as we hear the words of this psalmist, that we would respond by blessing you. It's in your son's name we pray. So the first five verses of this psalm provide us with an imperative, a command to bless the Lord, and then part of that is to forget not his benefits. So I'll read those verses again just to remind us. It's a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and, and all that is within me, so all that is within me, bless the Lord, 
Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquity and who heals all of your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So David commands himself here to bless the Lord. These are, again, imperatives. They're commands. He's, he's reminding himself. He's telling himself. He's commanding himself. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And that may seem odd to us. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Doesn't the Lord bless us? How do we bless the Lord? Well, to, to bless is really just to declare God's goodness, to declare that which is right and true about who God is. It is a declaration of God's character. So that is what we are called to do. We are called to declare those kinds of things. This is followed by David reminding himself not to forget the benefits of God and forget not all of his benefits. And so what are his benefits? It gives us a list of his benefits. It says that he is the one who forgives all of your iniquities. It says he is the one who heals all of your diseases. He is the one who redeems your life from the pit. He is the one who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He is the one who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So when we think about this text and these first five verses and how to apply them, it's really actually, this is pretty simple. Bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. That is something that we need to be constantly, continually doing. So bless the Lord with all that is within you. Do not hold back. Bless the Lord. So how do we bless the Lord? We declare his excellencies. When you are waking up in the morning, when you are going to bed at night, when you are in your car, Declare what is right and true about God. Speak truth about him. Remind yourself, just like David is doing, of the Lord and who he is. This is a pattern that you see throughout all of the Psalms. Regardless of what the psalmist is going through, good times, bad times, easy times, difficult times, the psalmists are always appealing to the character and the nature of God. It is what grounds everything that they believe. And it is the, the thing that stabilizes everything everything that they feel. We, we are emotional people. That's not wrong. I'm an emotional person. You're an emotional person. We have a spectrum of emotions, and our emotions will often move us in a direction that is contrary to the way that God would have us to move. But when we declare who God is and what God has made us to do, and we remind ourselves of those things consistently and continually, then we, he will reorient the way that we think. He will, he will not, as was said earlier, he will not let us be conformed by the pattern of this world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that we can bless the Lord, and that will be the constant refrain of our lives. And one of the ways that we do this is we actually remind ourselves, we forget not, all of the benefits of the Lord. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves of these things. But sometimes... I think that, that we consider some of the things that we might think of as benefits aren't really the benefits that this psalm is talking about. Often we think of, well, what are the benefits of the Lord? And we might think of the nice house that we live in. We might think of the, the, the bank account that we have. We might think of, of material worldly possessions. None of those things even hit the radar of David in this psalm, did they? Those things, are, those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when we mistake those things, 
things as the true and lasting benefits of God, we deceive ourselves, I think. So what are the benefits of the Lord? The benefits of the Lord are those things which are imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, as Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1. The salvation of God ready to be revealed through what has already been accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The benefits that we have, that the Lord has given us, is that, well, we are his people. He has brought us into his family. He has taken away our sin. We'll talk about that more in the next section. He has taken away our sin, and he has given us the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. These are the things that are the benefits of the Lord. It is not monetary. It is not material. Those things will fade away. So remind yourselves of those things that are true benefits that only God can bring. So Pastor John said that that you all have an ecclesiology seminar later this evening. You are an elder-led congregational church. I don't, I don't know if you knew that that's the way, I, that's, that's what you call yourselves. Is that, is that the language that you use? Elder-led congregational church. And in America, one of the things that we often think of is, well, we pay Pastor John to do the ministry of the, the, the church, and that's what he does. And we've got some elders who also do the ministry of the church. That, that's not how your church functions. And that's not how any healthy biblical church functions. Instead, your church functions in such a way that guess who does the work of the ministry? All of you. All of you are called to do the work of the ministry of this church. And so, as you are doing the work of the ministry of this church, when you think about blessing the Lord and when you think about forgetting not his benefits, John and Bo and Steve, they should be exemplary in reminding the congregation of those things. They should be exemplary in doing that. The deacons should be exemplary in reminding the congregation of how to live a life out that is characterized by forgetting not God's benefits. But guess what? Every single one of you, you're not just called to vote on a budget once a year. You're not just called to every once in a while vote members in and vote members out. Those things are good. Those things are true. You are called to do those things. You are called to minister to the deep needs of each other. And the way that you can do that the best is by blessing the Lord amongst yourselves and by reminding each other, forget not his benefits. One of the ways that that has been the most helpful for me is by being in a small group. You guys call them uh, house to house, right? So by, by, by doing that on a regular basis, and there was, there was a, a small group that I was a part of for eight years. The, the main core of families stayed in this one group. And we got to see the things that the Lord did in each other's lives in ways that you wouldn't believe or imagine. You wouldn't believe it or imagine it. And so when something happened, when, it, when, when a hard time came, I could say, Wayne, do you remember what happened four years ago and what we were praying for and where you are now? Forget not his benefits, right? Remember these things. So I just want to encourage you that one of the best ways that you can do this and practice this is by actually truly understanding what you are called to do as a church. So in the next section, we're gonna see the character of the Lord. The Lord is righteous. He shows steadfast love to those who fear him. So the Lord is righteous. He shows steadfast love to those who fear him. So verses six through 13 say this. The Lord works righteousness. I mean, he does what is right and good and justice 
for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So the character of God is permeating this. He will not always chide, he will not always discipline, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So there on several of those lines, you saw that he just repeated the same idea twice in order to emphasize it. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You've probably heard those in a song somewhere. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. These verses just continue to discuss the character of God and his benefits, I think. But they shift to this third person and it becomes apparent and he's, he's referring to all of these things and grounding all of these things in the picture of redemption that God brought about when he rescued and redeemed his people from bondage and slavery in Egypt. So there are several attributes and characteristics of God that are focused on here. He is righteous in his works. He is righteous and he reveals himself to his people. He shows himself to his people. It mentions that he revealed himself to Moses. And in Exodus 34, Moses wants to encounter God. And God, as he is talking about who he is, he says to Moses, he says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he declares who he is to Moses. That's what he does. And, and the psalmist here, David, is just quoting that description that God gives of himself in Exodus chapter 34, that he is a God who is gracious and compassionate. This is the same description that, that is used several times in the Psalms. Uh, and Jonah is the one who uses it when, when God, he's mad at God because God has forgiven the Ninevites. And he says, God, I know that this was just so like you to do this. I know that you're gracious and compassionate. It's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I knew you'd forgive him. That's why I didn't want to come here and preach the, preach the word to these people because I knew you'd forgive him. This is God's character. This is the description of who God is. He's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He disciplines, but is forgiving. He's like a good father with his children. And verse 10 could be me easily misunderstood, right? If we just took it out of context or ripped that one verse uh, out, out of the surrounding passages or its theological context, where he says he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The point there is trying to make, it's trying to make about God's graciousness, God's mercy towards his people, right? If he gave us what we would deserve, we would perish quickly. He would meet us with judgment and justice immediately. But instead, he's patient. He's slow to anger. This isn't saying that God winks at sin or that God doesn't care about justice. There's, there's no biblical text that would lead us to an understanding of that. This is trying to show God's gracious character towards his people. This whole section is showing that, and it shows us through that allusion to the Exodus event, as I already mentioned. So as we think about, as we think about these verses, what what changes the way that we live as we look at these verses? First of all, I think it's the Lord's character. God's character, just like in the previous section, calls us, screams for us to remember who the Lord is. Whatever you are going through, remember who the Lord is. Again, I already alluded to 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter talks about the salvation that we have in the Son that God has given to us that is and when I think of like the Phoenix Sun, whenever I, whenever I hear the words, the descriptors that he gives, that it's imperishable, unfading, 
undefiled. And I'm just like, the sun here fades everything, right? You can't leave a car out. I don't care how good the paint job in that car is. Eventually, it's going to deteriorate. But the promises that we have through the person and work of Jesus Christ are unfading. We remember who God is. If God is, and all that he ordains is right, like we've already said, and if God is bringing to remembrance some things, if God is, is drawing you back to himself in ways that are uncomfortable, remember who he is. If the day is good and it's sunny and beautiful, outside and 80 degrees, remember God's character that he is good, that he is gracious, that he is compassionate. So what are some of the things that ways that we can remind ourselves of the character and nature of the Lord on a regular basis? So I gave you one about meeting together, not forsaking that, but I would say it's just reading scripture regularly on your own, right? Read it and, and, and try to understand as you are reading the text what it says about who God is. Don't, don't read it so greedily that you're always thinking about yourself. Instead, think, God, who are you? Right? Look for how God reveals himself and shows himself through his word. And while I think it's good to read scripture on your own, to listen to scripture on your own, maybe even as, as you're in the car or something on a commute, I think it's actually significantly more important that we read scripture in community. Another thing that I love about this church is that you all always read lots of texts of scripture together. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, Paul tells Timothy, right, to devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to the public reading of the word. That's a good thing to do. Do that in other contexts as well. If you have a, if you have a coworker who also goes to, to church here or goes to another church, it would be better if it was this church, but uh, read scripture with them on your lunch break, even if it's just a small psalm, right? Even if you just say, you know what, we're gonna go through an epistle over the next month and a half or month over, uh, over our lunch breaks. Read scripture together. Read scripture together in community. This will, if you read scripture together, it gives you kind of training wheels. It gives you safety. It's like the bumpers in the, bu- in the bowling alley, right? It puts up those bumper guards so that you don't get too far afield, right? You don't throw the ball in the gutter. Well, I think that this text is, no, 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 no. The community is going to steer you back towards the pins. So read scripture together and do that regularly. Make it a habit and a part of your life. I could give you a whole history of the transmission of the Bible, but it hasn't been until the last couple of hundred years that we've actually even had access to be able to read it on our own. So there's always been the safety net of the church, right? So read it together. Make it a habit to regularly think about what Scripture says about God. So when you read those texts of Scripture and when you read a psalm like this, don't just walk away from it and then compartmentalize your life and go back to work. Instead, reflect on the character and nature of God as revealed in that text. Start this week with Psalm 103. Look at that that description of God's holy character. And as you are going throughout your day, whether you have a good day or a bad day, just remind yourself, put some markers in your life to say, God, all of your works are righteous. And then just remind yourself of some of those things that have happened in your life that show that. Think of those great things in scripture that God has done that show that his works are righteous. Try to do this I don't know, 10, 15 times a day for about 15 seconds at a time. It will change the way that you think. It will, it will as, as, as Paul talks about in, in Romans 12, it will not conform you to this world. It will reorient you, at least for a moment, 
But if you keep doing it over and over and over again and you make it a pattern of your life to bless the Lord and forget not his benefits and remind yourself of all of those character qualities that the Lord has shown himself to have in these verses, it will change your life. It will change your life. You've got a phone probably, so throughout the day you can set reminders. Right? I've got like 15 reminders like every day on some sort of device, right? Whether it's something that pings on my, my calendar or on my phone or on uh, one of those, you know, wiretapping devices that you have that, you know, they, so uh, I have so many reminders throughout the day that tell me to do something. Most of those are just such mundane things. Let's redeem that. Make them of something of, 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 of lasting value and quality. Second, remember the redemption that God brings about. So listen to the way that, that the psalmist talked about this. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He removes our sins as, as, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that's far, right? I'm not going to give you any distances. It's an infinite distance. So does he remove our transgressions, our sins from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Remember the redemption that we have. And if David is reflecting on the redemption that Israel has from Egypt, how much more can we reflect on the redemption that we have through the perfect life, the sacrificial atoning death, and the resurrection of the dead of his son, Jesus Christ? The redemption that God wrought in Egypt was awesome. We've seen the Prince of Egypt. We've seen those scenes, right? It is, it is marvelous what God did. He parts a sea. He swallows up the greatest army that the world had known at the time. He defeats all of the pretender gods of Egypt, right? What an awesome thing, right? He brought them out of bondage and slavery to a great nation. He has brought us out of bondage and slavery to sin and death and the devil. And he has made us new creations. What an awesome redemption that he has wrought in our lives. So much more than defeating Pharaoh. So much more than parting the Red Sea. We have final, full total forgiveness in the person and work of his son if we are his. So this next section in verses 14 through 18 talks about the condition of God's people. It says that our days are fleeting, but God's, there's this contrast, our days are fleeting, but God's steadfast love lasts forever. It's eternal. He says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. For as, uh, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. The temporariness. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. So here David continues to bless the Lord while also reminding himself and the reader about who God is and who we are, who we are. We are dust, we are grass, we are like flowers of the field. This is a common biblical imagery. James uses this, Isaiah uses this, several different biblical authors use this, that, like the beauty of, of grass or the flower, but just here for a moment. When a scorching wind comes through, it's gone. So we have cactuses in our, in our yard, and every, every, a couple times a year, I don't know the, the, the cycle of it actually, because it's more than one time a year, this one cactus will bloom these really beautiful flowers. And it, it has all of these, these buds that come out of it. I don't know, it's, there's three cactuses that kind of like come up and they're all they're right there. They're really tall and long. And they, they have these flowers that jut off of them. 
Those flowers will last exactly like two hours. They, they pop up and, it's, and they look beautiful. They pop up right before the sun comes out and then the sun comes out and they just wither. And you can start seeing them wither immediately and then they fall off. And then the bunnies come, because we have a lot of bunnies in our neighborhood. The bunnies come and they steal like the little, the little flowers and they eat them and they're gone, right? This, this flower was there and if you don't catch it as you're out the door going to work in the morning, if you don't see it, you'll never see it. It was just there for a moment. That is how we are. We are here for a short time. And that is contrasted, our, our, our temporariness is contrasted with the steadfast love of the Lord. God's steadfast covenantal love and his faithfulness, they're not here for a short time, from everlasting to everlasting. It is an eternal truth about who God is. The idea of steadfast covenantal love speaks to how God relates to his people. This isn't just some mere intellectual idea. This is talking about God's deep relationship with his people. This is a marriage-like description of how God relates to us as his people. A covenant is not a contract, it is a relationship that is based on fidelity, faithfulness, and loyalty. And throughout the scriptures, we see that God is always faithful to his end of the covenant. There's this text in 2 Timothy. I love it. It's, it's wonderful. At the end of it, uh, Paul tells Timothy, he, said, he starts it off by saying this is a trustworthy statement, but he ends it by talking about, if we are, faith, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, it says, because he cannot deny himself. God is always faithful. It would be denying his very character and nature for him to be unfaithful. He cannot not be, un he cannot not be faithful. It's a double negative, right? But it's saying he's always and ever faithful. He is the always and ever faithful one. And we saw that in God's covenant with Israel when he brought them up out of Egypt, which is the context of what David is thinking about in the psalm, right? But when we look at the scriptures, and we even, if we soberly look at our own lives, we understand that throughout the story of God and his people, while he has always been faithful, we have always been unfaithful. He has always shown himself to be faithful, and yet we, well, like lost sheep, have gone astray. God's steadfast love is for those who fear him and keep his commands. That's how this, this text has said it in the previous section and in this section. So as I'm thinking about how we live this out, understand, understand your condition. These verses show the fragility of the human condition. We are dust. We are beautiful like the flower that pops up on my cactus, but is gone in a short time. It's easy. It is so easy to think too highly of ourselves, as if we are in control. But because of sin, our time here on earth is temporary. Instead, entrust yourself to a God who is on his throne. As Pastor John has, has already said and prayed this morning, Nothing has ever taken God by surprise. We'll talk about that more in the next section. Fear the Lord. So he says that his, his steadfast love is for those who fear him. Fear the Lord. Notice that this, this idea was also in that previous section. Fearing the Lord is a major theme throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament poetry and wisdom literature. It's a term that is actually very relational in nature. I think that a lot of people misunderstand this idea of what it means to fear the Lord. So what would, what would David have have meant or what would David have thought as he was saying this? Well, I'm guessing it's probably a lot of those things that Solomon talks about since Solomon was David's son, 
right? And he's going to, to give us the same understanding of the fear of the Lord. And Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is, is wisdom, that the fear of the Lord is knowledge. He says that those who hate knowledge don't fear God. Those who hate wisdom and instruction are those people who do not have the fear of the Lord. You can see that in Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs 1.29, Proverbs 9.10, that those who fear the Lord, they, they like wisdom and instruction, but the fool despises it. The fear of the Lord is actually knowing God, is what Solomon says in Proverbs 2.5. That the fear of the Lord is the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, according to Proverbs 8.13 and 16.6. And actually, you see the same thing in Job and Ecclesiastes as well. So that the fear of the Lord is to hate those things which are contrary to God's character and nature. Those things that, that God hates. Psalm 22.3 talks, or 22.23 talks about how we should praise and glorify and stand in awe of him by fearing him. It says this, you who fear the Lord, praise him. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. That is what it looks like to fear the Lord. Psalm 33, 8 says that it's not just God's people who are supposed to fear him, but all of the world is supposed to fear him. It's a different kind of fear. It is a terror. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Even Jesus talks about this, right? He says, don't fear man who can destroy the body. Fear God who can throw both body and soul into hell. There is a terror and a dread and an awe that we have of our God. And this psalm, fearing the Lord, is described as keeping his covenant and remembering to do his commands. God is our savior and our Lord, he is our king. And like any good king, he requires faithfulness. We've probably all seen a movie or a television show set in some you know, medieval kingdom or some ancient kingdom. And in that show, there were people who were vowing their, their fealty. They were, they were they're vowing their, their lives to their king, right? God requires and God actually provides a much better kingdom than any of those kings you've ever seen on a TV show, even, even Lord of the Rings. Even better, even better than Lord of the Rings, right? He, he requires the faithfulness of his people like any good king would. So we need to be people who, who respond to him in a fear by obeying and doing what he commands. So what does he do? What does he command? What does he command for us to do? He commands for us to love him. He commands us to love others. Those are the two great commandments as Jesus talks about. Those are the two great commandments that permeate all of the text of scripture. Paul talks about this in Romans 13. He talks about this in Romans 15. He says, owe no one anything except to love one another. We need to be people who are faithful to the commands of our king and everything that we should do, everything that we do should be oriented on living a life for his glory. And we can do that by understanding God's steadfast love to those who fear him. That will, that will provide us motivation for those who fear him do remain faithful to covenant not by any work or will of our own but by what Christ has already done that is how we are able to stay faithful to him in covenant relationship this is the good news of the gospel for the believer we're not in covenant because of our good works right we have none in and of ourselves we trust in Christ's work alone for those of you who, who may have wandered in this morning I'm a guest preacher please give us another shot come back next week when Pastor John is preaching He's a little less crazy than I am. Um, but for, if you've wandered in and, and, and you, don't, you don't believe, I do want you to understand that there's, there's nothing that you can do to merit or earn right relationship with God. What you have to do is you have to trust in what has already been done through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I would be happy to talk to you more about that. Pastor John would be happy. 
the, the person that you came with will be more happy to talk, will be happy to talk with you about that. But God's steadfast love is what orients and reorients us as we live our lives. And that's why the psalm comes back to where it began in verses 19 through 22. It gives us this, the same imperative, except it's escalated this time, that all creation is supposed to bless the Lord, including our, our soul, my soul. So verse 19 says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. So what what does it mean that he rules over all? Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So here we've got a four-fold repetition of it this time, and I do think that there's a three plus four structure that's going on here saying, really with everything that you have, bless the Lord. So it mirrors that first section with an escalation, not just the soul, but all creation. And then it says it one more time. So we're supposed to bless the Lord. The, The ground and the foundation for all of that is this, that God is on his throne. He is the ruler of everything. Everything is under God's dominion. Everything is under God's rule. And that should bring us comfort today. God is on his throne. This should draw us to worship him, to praise him, to declare his excellencies. God is on his throne. This should give us great comfort. He's never caught off guard or by surprise. Everything our Lord ordains is right and good. God is on his throne. This should call us to declare to our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members who do not know him, know the Lord. Why? He is ruling and reigning even now, and he is a good king. He is the only king who is truly worth our loyalty, our honor, and our praise. So here David calls all of creation to bless the Lord. All of creation is called to bless the Lord, but we live in a time and a place when very few do. We're called to bless the Lord, as as this psalm says, by declaring who he is and what he has done. And I think that as we think of our our mission and our responsibility as, as a church, as the people of God, the way that we do that in faithfulness and in response to our God is by proclaiming the gospel to a world that is lost and perishing. It is by proclaiming the gospel to each other and reminding us and reminding ourselves to forget not his benefits. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we bless you. Father, all of your works are righteous. Father, we bless your and praise your holy name. Father, you are altogether righteous and awesome in all that you do. Father, we look at the redemption that you brought about for the people of Israel and Egypt. And Father, we think even more fondly and even more greatly and stand in even more awe of the redemption that you brought about for us through the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, today we pray that we would be people who are characterized by by people who proclaim your excellencies to those people who are lost around us that we would proclaim your excellencies and bless you and declare who you are to each other as we constantly need the gospel. Father, we praise you and we thank you for constituting your people as your body of which your son sits at the head. So Father, we pray that we would be people who live that out with, with sobriety and seriousness today. Father, we pray that we would be a people who see that we have a family in the church that is so much more than the family, the families that this world has to offer, that we are a people who have been constituted through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and his defeat of sin and death. And Father, we look forward to that time when he will come again and make all things right. Father, we, we praise you and we thank you. Father, we declare your awesomeness today. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.